it's Denise Duffield-Thomas here, author of the book Chillpreneur, and you're listening to the Inspiration Place podcast with Miriam Shulman. It's the Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place podcast, an art world inside a podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. Well, hello, this is your host, artist Miriam Shulman, and you're listening to episode number 33 of the Inspiration Place podcast. I am so thrilled that you're here. Today, I've invited a money mindset expert because we all need to work on kicking the starving artist mentality. In this episode, you'll discover why you should never crowdsource your prices why you should never barter. In other words, don't trade your art for services. Also, how pricing your art too cheaply can backfire. Today's guest is the money mindset mentor for the new wave of online female entrepreneurs. Her best-selling books, Lucky Bitch, Get Rich Lucky Bitch, and her brand new book, Chillpreneur, Give a fresh and funny roadmap to creating an outrageously successful life and business. And I definitely recommend you get the audible versions because she is hilarious. She helps women release their fear of money, set premium prices for their services, and take back control over their finances. She also is an award-winning speaker, author, and entrepreneur who helps women transform their economy class money mindset into a first class life. Please welcome to the Inspiration Place, Denise Duffield Thomas. Hey, Denise, welcome to the show. Hi, Miriam. That felt like an Oscar tribute. (laughs) (laughs) That was amazing. Thank you. What a beautiful introduction. Everyone can see you're wearing your Oscar gown too. You know, I wanted to ask you that. Do you like watch that where you are? I am so into the Oscars. So I've watched it as long as I can remember. I used to live in London and I had to stay awake all night. Started at 1am in the UK. In Australia, it's the best. It starts at midday. That's so nice. Yes. So we watch it. I hire out a cinema. So this year I hired a gold class cinema with all the fancy lounges for my friends and family to come and watch. And then it finishes about 3.30. That's perfect. That's like a reason to go to Australia next year during the Oscars. Like I have to stay up till, well, I only stay up till 10 because it's past my bedtime. I just stayed up to watch Bradley Cooper and then... Oh my God, it was so amazing. But actually what I love too, which is probably a good place to start for our talk, is Lady Gaga's speech where she said, you know, I've been working hard for a really long time. Mm. And as she said that, I was thinking, oh my God, she has done like tiny little shows with nobody there. A friend of mine told me that she saw her as the opening act for the Pussycat Dolls years and years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things of to be successful as a creative, as an artist, as an entrepreneur, it is a series of being consistent, being true to your vision and just 
believing in yourself is the most important thing before anyone else believes in you, before anyone else pays you yeah. for your art. You have to show up. And I, I just think she has done her 10,000 hours of you know being an artist. Oh, for real. And we weren't going to get into this, but then the whole idea of creating that alter ego and donning a whole persona that probably helped her create that confidence for herself. Because a lot of us, when we reach a certain stage, even before we get to a certain stage, you have that imposter syndrome, like, who am I to do whatever? It makes it so much easier when you have this alter ego or this person like Lady Gaga, because that's not her real name, obviously. I mean, she's just from a small town right near me, actually, like a very small, not a rich town, Yonkers. You would know the Yonkers. <laughs> I do do the name. Isn't that where Brad Pitt's from? No, he's from somewhere else. But but here's the thing about the persona thing. I think it was Stephen Pressfield in his book who said that Madonna had said, Madonna works for me. And yes. I think I feel the same way about Lucky Bitch Denise. I think, well, she works for me. Even though I'm authentic in everything that I do, it's still a business for me in yes. lots of ways where, you know, I'm like, well, I'm Denise, myself, the mum of three kids and wife of Mark. And then there's a bit more sometimes polished version of myself that is my lucky bitch, Denise. And it actually does help me to think, well, of course I would charge her out because she's the talent. <laughs> and right. of course I would ask for her to be paid to say, for example, speak on stage or do something because she's the talent and she works for me. Right. Like you can't let yourself be the lowest paid employee in your in your business. Oh my God, no. And you know, so many of us do that. We make sure that we pay our suppliers and we make sure that we pay our rent, but we don't see ourselves as being an important part of that. No. Let's get right to some of these things that I, I'm dying to talk about. One thing that has been one of your mes key messages actually for a while is why we shouldn't barter. That might be trading a painting for something. And I have to admit, I've done this, and it's definitely... What did you trade it for? You gotta I'm going to tell you, it totally backfired on me. Back when I was doing my portrait commissions, which I still sometimes do, but I was in the throes of it then, and my hairdresser really wanted me to paint her children, and she didn't think she could afford it. So she asked me to swap hair services for the paintings. And on the surface, that sounds reasonable, but... She couldn't do my hair in the salon. She had to do it in her apartment, which meant I had to go from my house in the suburbs into New York City and spend all that time traveling back and forth. So I definitely lost on that end of the bargain. So it was not an even trade. And I loved when I learned from you. So I've been following Denise actually for a long time. When I started following you and you said, don't barter. And as soon as you decide not to barter, the universe is going to test you. And sure yep. enough, like the next day, then my friend wanted to trade a painting with me for her painting. And I said, nope, you can buy the painting and I will buy one of your paintings. So <laughs> I love it. <laughs> because that way you're telling the universe that you are open for business and you accept money for your art. And that's it, right? So the two things you just said, exactly what I would say. First of all, it very rarely works out. Someone is all screwed over and it's usually you because I find that the person who has the audacity to ask is the person who usually doesn't follow through mm. on their side of the bargain. I've actually met very few artists who they're the ones who have 
requested the barter in the first place. Right. Interesting, right? Because it's almost like, yeah, the people who have the audacity to do that are usually the ones who they don't value themselves either. And usually they don't do a good job in fulfilling that. So I've heard similar things to you where someone has bartered for something like a service like hairdressing, and then the person's really bad at what they do. (laughs) It just doesn't work out in so many ways. Someone always gets screwed over. But the second thing is probably the most important, and that's the energy behind it. It does sound very nice of like, oh, we're post money. We don't have to think about money. Let's just, you know, have this beautiful generosity where we just exchange energy. And it sounds really lovely, but hey, we live in a world that money is a form of exchange and currency. And also we live in a world where women and creatives are often really disadvantaged when it comes to money anyway. So why would we take ourselves out of the system even further? And when people say, oh, well, let's do it so we can avoid taxes. Again, what message are you sending out to the universe that I don't believe that I can pay tax? I don't believe that I'm responsible enough to pay tax. It just energetically closes you down to paying clients because even when you do it with one person, it's contagious. Then the next person who comes along, she second guesses your value and doesn't want to pay it or asks for a discount because they can sense that you have these wishy-washy money boundaries where you actually don't believe in your worth anyway. So you then start to attract more and more of it. That can just make you so resentful. You have to be really strong in your value before other people can see it. That's the truth. And one of my friends develops websites, actually not a girl, a guy, and he wanted to trade somebody for coaching. And I said to him, well, would you pay for the coaching? You know, if you weren't going to be doing a trade, he hesitated. So if you wouldn't pay for it, then it's not a fair trade. If you're not willing to pay money for it, then you're basically saying you're doing it for free because you're not having that value around it. Well, the other thing too is that people suck at setting boundaries usually. I notice that when people do this bartering thing in the first place, then they have terrible boundaries around it. So Mm. it ends up being this open-ended, the person becomes a terrible client. Like say, for example, a website client. That person could be someone that you would never necessarily work with because maybe they don't know what they want or you think, well, it's bartering, so let's not do contracts. And then you get scope creep and all this other stuff. And it's a big old mess. So the best thing to do is just have really black and white, hey, you pay me, I pay you. And then you'll realize, you know what? I wouldn't even pay for that. Exactly. I don't want to work with that. Exactly. And that's okay too. I love that. Let's talk about another one of your pet peeves, which is crowdsourcing prices, which artists are very guilty of. So first of all, tell us what that is. And I'll tell you how that shows up in the art world if you don't already know. Oh my God. Yes, I can imagine. So crowdsourcing is when you ask everybody in your life what they think. And crowdsourcing pricing is when you say to someone, hey, what would you pay for this? And I see this a lot in forums you know, and I'm sure there are a lot of creative artist forums. It's like, hey guys, I did this painting. What would you pay for it? And it's like, first of all, you're usually asking people who are not your ideal customers. Sometimes they're your competitors. So they're not going to necessarily give you the best answer. And also the reason why it really does not work is because most industries have collective insecurities and collective money blocks. Especially artists. Of course, right? Because of the starving. So you might be asking people thinking, oh, people will tell me honestly, but it's like, 
you don't know what money blocks and beliefs they have about being an artist. They might think or they're being told from a young age, you can't charge for this. Right. Or you should give this away for free or the starving artist thing. So you're just borrowing all of that icky energy. And in the art world, more than almost any other industry, I think, there is no, I mean, what would you pay for a Picasso? Who decides what is value in the art world, right? So there's no cost of goods sold, easy formula for working out art because art itself is priceless. (laughs) It's weird that we do this, right? So tell me how how you've seen it play out. Well, they go on to Etsy. And they look at what people are charging on Etsy, but they don't they say, well, they're only charging $15 for a print. The people who are charging only $15 for a print are going to burn themselves out when they finally realize they're only making a dollar an hour. Because by the time you print that image out and pack it up and deal with the back and forth customer emails of, well, do you have it in this size? And do you have it in this color? And blah, 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 blah. You're only making like a dollar. So I never priced my prints based on what the average person on Etsy did because I recognized like, look, what can I make money on? And then after a certain point, I even eliminated some of those sizes that I felt I couldn't charge enough to make it worth my while. So now they either buy a larger size or they don't buy from me. So that's one way it definitely shows up is looking on Etsy, which is not a good place to set your prices. You know what you just said though about the dollar? I had a friend who, when she finally did the numbers, she actually realized she was losing $4 for each piece of art that she sold because she didn't take into account you know, the tube that she needed to send and the postage and this and, that and the fees. But, and that's not even including her time. Right. So many of us feel like, oh, I can charge for the art, but I can't charge for my time and my expertise and my creativity. Well, it's hard for a lot of women artists because they enjoy it and therefore they feel guilty charging for something that they enjoy and comes easy for them. And what I've always said is you can make art and have it be your hobby, but if you're in business, you better be making money. Just give it away if you don't want to make money. You can love it and make money. You can help people and make money. You can create joyful things and make money. You can donate a portion to charity and still make money. All of those things are totally okay. Yes. And you also mentioned in your book, there was one chapter you were talking about a handmade box in a store that I think they were charging $14. You want to share that story? It's a secondhand bookshop near me. And obviously they sell secondhand books, but I saw this beautiful little jewelry box and it was just this little soapstone. I'd never heard of soapstone before. And it had a tree of life carved in it and it was so beautiful. I saw it and I said, oh, is this secondhand? And he goes, oh no, my wife makes this. Crazy. I was like, $14? Like that's so cheap. And he goes, well, I want it to be affordable for people. And affordable is just one of those words that gives me, what's the word? Gives me the poos. (laughs) (laughs) Because who defines affordable? And why should art and beauty be so cheap that we burn ourselves out creating it for people? You know, this is the other thing. I think we live in this consumer society now that we think that everyone should be able to afford everything they want when they want it. You know what? As a kid, and I'm sure you remember this too, I remember saving up for things. It's okay for people to save up 
to purchase from you, something that they'll treasure forever. And I'm not saying, you know, this this box was so special that I would save up for weeks and months for it, but it still would have been affordable at $25. It still would have been affordable at $50. I mean, if they had stuck that same box in a gallery in New York, they could have charged $500. If it was in Soho, like the same exact box, you know, you put the box in a flea market secondhand, sure, 15 bucks. Yay. But if it was in Soho with like on a little pretty crystal tray, somebody could ask $500 for that same box. Absolutely. And you know what? This is the funny thing about valuing stuff. I actually don't have that box anymore. It got conmarried in my last declutter. And I think <laughs> it's because it was only $14. Like if you had spent $500 for it on your trip to New York City, you would have felt differently about it. I would absolutely would have felt differently about it. Instead, I was like, mm, it's a commodity. It's, you know, and I don't want us to feel that way about art. And I want us to challenge this throwaway society where things are so cheap and it's instant gratification for people. You know, when I think of some of the things I saved up for as a kid, I remember saving up for a jewelry box. Now looking back, it probably was, you know, mass market jewelry box, but I saved up for it. And it's okay for people to have you on their dream board. It's okay for people to have you on their goal list to save up for and finally have that accomplishment of buying it. If I bought a piece of art for 50 bucks, I don't think I would value it as much, Mm. to be honest. You know, it probably would get decluttered and I'd go, oh, whatever, I'll just give that to the charity shop. So there's something there about allowing people to value you and value possessions again. One thing that drives me nuts is when artists price their originals at the same price that it should be for a print. Oh no, (laughs) that's not fun. No. And there's something there too. Sometimes we judge our customers by what we would pay for ourselves, right? And that's not the thing. When it comes to art, A lot of times, you know, like if someone comes to your house and says, oh my God, look at that piece of art. That's amazing. You don't say, thanks, it was 10 bucks. Like you don't tell people (laughs) how cheap it was. When it comes to art, you say, oh my God, it's this amazing artist and it's a one of a kind. And, you know, this is an original. There's only, or there's only 10 of them in the world. And that's what you tell people about. You're not getting excited about the fact that it was super cheap. And while we're on the subject, let's talk about why somebody pricing their art too cheap actually can hurt sales. I know that's something that you touch upon in Pricing Mistakes in the Chillpreneur book. Thinking about the personality types of your customers. And in the art world, you often get the celebrity personality type buying art. And for them, it's part of their identity that it's exclusive, that it was something that is precious and rare, and even that it was expensive. Sometimes for some personality types and some pieces of art, the amount that they paid for it gives them just as much pleasure as the art itself. That's true. Which can feel really weird if you're an artist because you you then think, well, I wouldn't pay that. And it's like, well, that's because you're not that customer. This is the same customer who will pay more for fashion because the higher the price tag, the more exclusive that fashion is. Absolutely. And I have a friend like this, and I remember she said, oh, I love your dress. And I said, oh, thanks. It was like $49 or something from Kmart. And she was like, ugh. And she was like, oh, I don't like it anymore. (laughs) Even though she liked it before she knew that it was, you know, a Target dress or whatever. So I'm not saying that all of your art is sold to people who 
you know, you might even judge them for it. But that is a very valid reason to buy for some people is the exclusivity and and the rareness of it and the preciousness and actually and sometimes the price of it. Okay, so we just have to face the fact that that is our thing. The other thing about pricing in this way is it has to be win-win. It has to feel good to you and it has to feel good to your customer as well. And quite often we don't do that. We actually sometimes feel a little bit resentful. Have you ever done that? I'm sure in, in the very early part of your life, in your career, you actually like are annoyed at your customer for paying little prices, even though you yourself priced your work. Well, when I was doing the portrait work, every time I had a difficult customer, my prices went up and the contract got longer. (laughs) It was like, well, I didn't know that I needed a boundary around that, but now I do. So I would add that to my contract. I would raise my prices. Yeah. I know you you talk about not giving your stuff away for free. You were talking about pricing, but artists are always getting asked for free art. Always. Mm. So whether it's for somebody's charity fundraiser or will you paint this sign for me? In other words, you're basically giving away your graphic design services for free. They always yeah. assume because you're an artist and you love to do art that this is like the service that you give to the world. Absolutely. And you know what? Every profession has this. Yes. If you're a doctor and you're at a party, people are like showing you their war <laughs> and stuff like that. Like, it just, it's something that happens and unfortunately it happens a lot more in the creative world because people think, yeah, you, well, this is your calling. This is, it comes easy to you. You know, they don't think that necessarily artists have had to learn their skill and craft. They often think that it's just God-given mm. and that's it. Oh, you're just a creative, arty person. So one thing that uh, I think every entrepreneur needs to learn is boundaries Yes, and the art of saying no. Melanie Romero, she actually coaches speakers and speakers get asked to talk a lot for free as well. So one thing that she told me to say is to have an internal kind of quota for things like that. And she said, once a quarter is a really good way to think about it, that you do a free speech for a charity or something like that. When that quota is done, that quota is done. And it gives you a bit of a a way to say people, hey, listen, I do four pieces of art a year for charitable institutions and my quota is full up this year. I love that. But I have some pieces, I have some, you know, affordable pieces or I have this or I have that or, you know, apply next year Mm. or whatever. But I just think it's just a really beautiful way. And I love that Melanie taught me that because it can feel like otherwise you have this unending pit of need because there is a lot of need and a lot of great charities out there and a lot of people that you want to help. But without that internal quota, you're never going to feel like what you do is enough anyway. Even if you do help a lot of people, you'll always think, oh, but I can't, I should be doing more. At least then you go, you know what? I'm doing enough. I'm doing my quota. Oh, I feel really good about it. And that. the biggest lie is that a lot of these people who are looking for donations like to say, oh, it's good exposure for you. Give me a break. <laughs> you know what? I've actually spoken a few times for exposure and those people never, ever give you the tapes. You know, they've gone, oh, we'll give you the video. And I remember there's this one person, I've been chasing her forever just to get the video that she promised me for speaking at her event for free. Those people are often the hardest yes. people to deal with. And then people who actually give you the least amount of exposure. I've done it sometimes with friends and they're very generous in 
you know, absolutely talking me up and sharing my stuff. But most of the time, people don't. They don't follow through. It's the same with the bartering thing. People don't follow through. I always know the kiss of death is when they say, you're going to get so much business from me. And those are always the ones where it's nothing. And when they say that, I know something's wrong. Like, oh, I must not have charged enough. There's something, there's some motive for them saying that, that always tells me I'm either over-delivering, under-charging. Why are they saying this now? It doesn't usually come through, you know? So not that I don't get referrals, but when people say that, it's usually a signal to me that the opposite is true. Absolutely. And you know what though? If you do have someone who constantly gives you business, then that can feel really good to say, you know what? You have given me so much. I would love to gift you a painting or I would love to speak at your event. But then that comes from a place of power and a place of generosity, not feeling like you're being taken advantage of, which unfortunately happens. Mm all the Mm. time. And the whole thing on this cheap thing too, I remember I had said it to someone where I'd said, oh, you know, you've got to work with this person. She's so cheap. Mm. And she heard me and it was like, I felt so bad because I was like, oh, that is not a compliment. (laughs) And people will say, oh, you've got to work with this person before she puts her prices up. And it's like, oh no, you don't want to be that person who's who's spoken of like no. that. And I don't necessarily like working with those people either. I was working with a copywriter who I no longer work with who was so cheap. She was so bad with deadlines that I finally had to stop using her. And I used to, I remember when I was using her thinking, I wish she would raise her prices and have less clients. I'd be happy to pay it and have her work with less people and get me my stuff on time. Yes. I feel the same way. I've said to people, I would pay you double to see you in like two weeks as opposed to three Mm. months. When you think of your target audience, you have to think of, you know, what motivates them? Is it speed, for example? You know, like this is something that I find really interesting is fast turnaround. You pay for it in every industry But in the art world or in the creative world, we feel bad for charging for fast turnaround. So in December, when somebody comes to you for that last minute dog portrait, there should be the Christmas rush fee, right? Absolutely. I've been to Kinko's and I wanted it now. I have to pay the fast turnaround fee. If I'm sending a package to the UK and I want it there in three days instead of 12 days, I pay for that. It's in every industry. I ordered a pizza the other day and they said, pay $3 extra and we'll get it to you in 20 minutes. Oh, done. No brainer. It's in every industry, but we think, oh, we can't do it because I shouldn't charge extra for this. I'm going to make them happy by getting it done fast. Exactly. You know what? I am a last minute girl. I absolutely am. So I am happy to pay premium prices for it because I know I didn't get my shit together and I am going to pay for that. And actually before Christmas, I did hire an illustrator. I wish I had it here, a little illustration of my family because I didn't have a really good present for Mark, you know, and I paid way more than I would have paid if I'd thought of it months before. But I was like, I need a present and I need it now. And then I went to the copy shop and I had to pay more to get it printed out now because everyone was there trying to do their Christmas stuff. So this is the thing, like when you have clients like that, first of all, you know, it's okay for you to say no if you're someone who doesn't like working under pressure. 
it's also okay for you to say yes and charge the premium, even if it's something that comes really easy That's to right. you and you could dash up in an hour. They still should pay the premium rate because what you do is worth it. And you don't want to be that person who says, yep, I'll make it happen for you and not have a contract in place, not get a deposit because often those people ghost on you. Oh yeah, there's one woman who was in one of these artist groups and it used to drive me crazy because she was always starting commissions without a deposit. And I don't know how many times I quote unquote coached her. I mean, obviously she wasn't paying me to coach her. It was just like giving her free advice in this Facebook group. Don't start these commissions until you get a deposit. It was like Groundhog Day. She would always start it and the person would disappear. And now I did all this work. I was like, well, why didn't you take the deposit first? Why? Yes, my money mentor, Kendall Summerhawk, who I absolutely love, she drummed this into me at the very start of my business. You don't have a client until you have a deposit. It's like, it's not even when you get the ring. You're not engaged until you have a date on the calendar. That's how I see it with the commissions. Because they could change their mind and buy their husband a set of golf clubs. Absolutely. (laughs) Did you start that painting, Miriam? Because if you haven't, I think I'd rather get golf clubs for my husband. What a priceless learning. You obviously learned from that. Oh, that that was a long time ago. That was like 15 years ago. But you remember it, right? It's a priceless lesson. So sometimes these things, rather than getting annoyed and resentful at people, you have to, as you said, your contract has gotten longer and longer and longer because you've taken ownership over that. Because unfortunately, people are flaky in the world and they're not going to change necessarily. So you have to change and protect yourself. Sometimes when something like that happens, I praise them in my mind because I think you have probably either saved me or made me so much money. So thank you. I don't say it to them. Energetically, I'm like, thank you for being such a pain in my butt because this is going to save me so many problems in the future. Thank you. So true. And then I just want to give a few more pro tips for my artists. So you were talking about how to thank a customer for referrals. What I generally do is if they've purchased a original art for me and they've gotten me referrals, I will create a set of note cards with the artwork on them that they have either, you know, if it's a commissioned portrait of their family, it'll be a set of note cards with that image on it. And I will gift them the note cards as a thank you gift. So there are ways to definitely thank them without giving them free art. A thousand dollar painting is not really a thank you gift. It is, it's just like you said, it's the wrong gift. It's like too much. That's not something you would do to thank somebody. Yeah, I think that's really good. It's finding the appropriateness. Yes. And I often like to use the word appropriate pricing rather than expensive or affordable or cheap or expensive. It's like appropriate because appropriate, I mean, that changes over time. Yes, it does. And it changes with your experience, your skills. And it's something I want to just circle back to. We talked about when you price too cheaply, people assume, oh, she must be new. Oh, she must be starting out. Oh, she must not be as good. Like how many times have we gotten work done on our house and didn't go with the cheapest wallpaper person or whatever it was because you're assuming, well, they're probably not as good. You're suspicious. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Especially like if you have two paintings that are the same size, always price them the same thing or your customer is going to wonder what's wrong with that cheaper one. There may be nothing wrong with it except maybe you don't like it as much, but they're going to think there must be something wrong with this. That's so true. Yes, I've experienced that myself. And I actually buy a lot of art 
and I've done the same thing, you know, and it's really interesting going to our local art shows. We often buy from local artists and it's fascinating seeing the differences in price. And I noticed that my husband, he's very attracted to higher prices. So he, if I like two about the same, he'll always pick the more expensive one, even if it's by, you know, completely different artists. Because he feels like, oh, that's, that's more valuable in his mind. Whereas um, what I tend to do, honestly, I look at something and to see if I like it first before I look at the price. And a lot of people do the opposite, which is I find interesting. Interesting. All right, Denise, well, you definitely gave us a lot to ponder today. And I'm so glad you were here and we're all inspired. Definitely get Denise's latest book, Chillpreneur. It's also out on Audible. And I have that free trial for you, shulmanart.com forward slash Audible. And I've also listed a link to purchase her books in the show notes for those who need those hard copies to write in the margins. Denise, do you have anything else to add before we call this episode complete? I do. And I was just thinking how fun this would be for everyone to practice this is create a piece of art and price it like a crazy outrageous amount for you just to experiment because you've got nothing to lose, especially if you've been under charging and under pricing for such a long time. Just experiment with it. Put like a crazy amount, even just like pull it, pick a number out of your butt, really. Because sometimes you just have to acclimatize to new prices. And once someone pays it, you'll realize, oh, that's just my new normal. So you've got nothing to lose to experiment with that. And what I would love is, you know, take a screenshot of of the podcast art and, and tag us on Instagram and tell us how that feels. What's your handle on Instagram, Denise? I'm at Denise DT. We will have a link to your Instagram handle in the show notes as well, but just in case they're in the car and they want to know. And I'm at Shulman Art. We would love for you to tag us so we can see your beautiful artwork. Great idea. Yes, please. Okay, so let's wrap up. Thanks so much again for joining us, Denise. You can find the show notes at shulmanart.com forward slash 33. I've also included a link to her website, which is that still luckybitch.com? Yes, luckybitch.com or denisedt.com. Is that easier to use on Facebook advertising if it doesn't have the word bit? That's exactly right. <laughs> Denisedt.com is so much more Facebook friendly. So yes, the great thing is all my handles, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's all Denise DT. So I'm very, very easy to find. And I love hearing people's ahas. Perfect. All right. Thanks so much again for being with us today. We will see you same time, same place next week. Make it a great one. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course on shulmanart.com. Hey there, if you enjoyed this podcast, you have to check out the Inspired Insiders Club. It's my monthly membership program where you get inspiration from me. Every month I share with you techniques that I use in my own art for drawing and painting in both watercolor and mixed media. Plus each month we meet live. We talk about inspiration and ideas for how to make the art in your own style and you get to ask me questions or even get critiqued on your art. If you're feeling stuck in your art and your goal for 2019 is to unleash greater creativity or to spend more time painting, but you need a little help creating that habit, then the Inspired Insiders Club will help you get there. Come join me over at shulmanart.com. That's shulmanart with a C, 
facebook.com forward slash join. I'd love to have you join me in the Inspired Insiders Club. See you there.